So welcome back to Rockstock Channel. It is Thursday, April 27th, and we are here with two gentlemen from Fast Markets. We have Will Adams, who we've had on the podcast before. We're going to talk about lithium pricing dynamics, and uh, he's joined by a new colleague, Jordan Roberts. You're, you're overseeing now a team not just on lithium, but other battery materials. Why don't you describe that a bit? The flagship Fast Markets uh, Lithium Conference. Actually, they changed their na name now. It's like the Lithium and Battery Materials Conference, but it's still known pretty much. I think the 15th annual is going to be June 18th to the 20th, I believe, in Las Vegas. Rodney and I will be speaking there. Will will be speaking there, of course, and uh, look forward to that. So, yeah, Will, why don't you just uh, introduce a little bit, uh, give an update, and then Rodney will ask a bunch of questions uh, very much focused on where we are in the pricing environment. When's the bottom and where are we going after that? Yeah, great. Okay, thanks, Howard. Um, yeah, just on the the Lithium Conference, it's the 20th, 21st, just to, um, just to sort of correct that. Yeah, so the team's grown significantly over the last sort of 18 months. Um, we've now got 18 or so analysts, uh, 20 analysts, in fact, um, and still growing. So we're covering sort of lithium, cobalt, nickel, graphite, it's soon to be starting with manganese, and we're also looking at copper. We've got battery recycling as well, and we've also got battery cost index uh, model as well. So we've really sort of increased the products that we're now uh, working on and having a, a much bigger team now. We can do a much deeper dive, which is great. Jordan here with me is looking after the sort of, he's our lead on lithium. We've got leads in each of the other areas as well. Okay. Well, every morning I get, you know, from Peter Hanna or one of your other colleagues, you know, the daily fast markets price. I also get the S&P price. So if any viewers uh, here want to get like the daily prices emailed to them, I think you could reach out to the the people at fast markets. All right, Rodney, I'm going to leave you to the questioning. This year, like every other year, there's a debate raging on where we're headed to. Having passed through the recent quarterlies from the major companies, there's still some some big players to come out, but certainly on the spodumin concentrate side, and then some of the uh, lead on to the downstream chemical side, I'm not seeing any upside surprises. If anything, I'm seeing some slight disappointments and lower production. So the question then is, you know, am I wrong? Am I getting it wrong in Africa? Because that's really the only sort of missing link. Everything else is very clear and out in the open. So where are we going from here? And uh, if it's down, you, you need to explain to me why, please. Let's start on that then. So, you know, I think we've, you know, we obviously 20, late 2020, throughout 2021, and for most part of last year, we, you know, we saw huge price increases on the lithium. Um, we saw, you know, at the end of the day, lithium from the lows in 2020 to highs last November, if you're looking at lithium um, carbonate in China, we were up, you know, over a thousand percent. So yeah, we have we topped out um, in November. Um, we've since, you know, come down heavily. I think um, a lot further than most people expected. And, and I think that the reason behind that is that those huge price increases created massive margins, um, and it sort of sucked a lot of lithium units out of the woodwork. Um, and you know, we saw DSO material been shipped from Africa and we saw the same from Australia. We've seen, you know, the, the Chinese really ramp up their lipidolite. Um, we've also seen sort of the reprocessing of tailings as well. So I think, you know, what happened is the sort of the Chinese converter community or industry, you know, suddenly did get their hands on more lithium units. That's come into the into the market. 
you know, on the way up, very sharp prices, people are likely to be, consumers are likely to be having to hold stock because in case, you know, fearing that prices are going to go up next week and the week after. And that, you know, certainly was the fact for 18, 18 months or so. So then when, you know, when this new supply starts coming through and also with people having the sort of the visibility that there was more mainstream production coming on as well. Uh, you had the the, um, the restarts at Wagina, um, the uh, Pilbara Minerals starting up the uh, the old Altura operation. Uh, and you, then you had mineral resources also sort of um, looking to double capacity. So even if there were delays on that at the time, sort of towards the end of last year, you know, that people were looking at new supply coming on stream. So I think then you move into that sort of concern that prices are going to start falling, the tightness will dissipate, uh, and then people start to destock. And it's that destocking which really hits apparent demand. And, you know, prices have come down. At the same time, I think demand has also suffered more than people were probably expecting. Well, uh, if I if I look at, at the maths for the year ahead, and I have about 14 million EV sales for this year, give or take, I'm not sure where you guys are, and... Energy storage, something we'll touch on. I am far more bullish. I have different numbers to what consensus is out there. And we're seeing Tesla with Lathrop and now China, I mean, going to go to 80 gigawatt hours by the middle of next year in capacity. If I stack up all of those numbers, you'd need to see that there was quite a big amount of inventory going on into coming into this year on the battery side and the cathode side for supply demand to be balanced for the year based on my numbers of what I've seen, unless you have enormous lipidolite numbers coming out of China, and we'll discuss that in terms of waste and issues around that and, and DSO. So how big do you think the inventory build was in, in, uh, in battery cells and in cathode coming into this year, in excess, excess uh, inventory? Um, I, I, it's really difficult to put a, nu a number on it. I think what I mean, what we hear, what our um, analysts in China hear is, you know, the people. So I think on the cathode material side, you know, production um, utilization rates was it went down to forty percent? I think Jordan wasn't it? Yeah, about forty percent, and they're holding inventory of a, around an, a month and a half. But that's at current consumption levels. If you look at what consumption levels will be in the last quarter of this year, that inventory isn't going to last a month and a half. And actually, a month and a half feels like a lot of inventory based off the levels of inventory that people were running off last year, which was next to nothing. Um, but if you look at the grand scheme of things and generally what the automotive OEM chain has in terms of entry levels, it's actually uh, not, not that high. Yeah. So, I mean, I think on that, you know, what we see um, is as I said earlier, you know, apparent demand hits as people destock. We're now waiting for that uh, that stock to work to be sort of used up. Um, and I think we're starting, you know, we're starting to see some of the um, cathode ma manufacturers now stepping up utilization rates again. You know, I think the, the the problem at the moment is probably the EV. If you look at the EV sales from going from the OEMs to the dealerships, then you know they they suffered in in January, but you know they've had good year on year and month on month gains in February and again in March but the problem is it's the that's at the that shows sales to the dealerships it's where at the dealership area where stocks are building up of EVs so we also need that to sort of to be burnt off as well that's going to take time you've also got other pressure on demand being affected by for on the 
petrol and diesel vehicles sales, passenger sales, you know, they are, because they're, China is moving through into a, a new emission uh, level uh, for emission for yeah, catalytic converters, there's a lot of pressure to sort of discount petrol and diesel cars before that new legislation comes in in the 1st of July. So that's also sort of having an impact on demand at the moment. Yeah, we've seen that. We've seen a cutback in, in production in, in China. Um, but of course, that, that volume can come back on stream. So uh, I guess the question now is, and Jordan alluded to it, is at some point we will start to see Q3 and Q4 EV demand coming back upstream into orders, you know, to, you know, pre-orders for the for the supply chain as it runs down. So we've seen a little bit of an uptick in the last few days. You obviously a swallow doesn't make a summer, but uh, Wendy, when when should we see early signals of Q4 EV demand and uh, and ESS ramp, you know, come through into, you know, lithium demand? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, yeah, certainly we're going to see that in the next month or two. I think the market is definitely bottomed out. If you look at the our SIF CJK price, that's been flat for, for six days now. Um, we're waiting for the publication of our domestic price, but um, I think the domestic price will, will move first and there'll be a little lag before we start seeing that in the SIF market. And, you know, it will take some time for that strength to reach the seaborne market, but there definitely is a change in, in sentiment. Utilization rates are up, um, and I think in the next couple of months we're going to get a much better idea of uh, what demand will be in Q3 and Q4. Um, and you know, like yourselves, we're still forecasting you know that between that 14 and 15 million units uh, for this year. And uh, are you seeing utilization rates yet above 50, or what sort of numbers are you looking at? Yeah, we have on the cam side, not 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 necessarily on the um, battery cell production side, they're still a little bit lower, but I think it's just cam producers will be the first to start restocking their, their inventory is low. And I think once the battery cell manufacturers have that confidence, I also think they overproduced maybe in the last couple months of last year. Um, and certainly in, in January as well. So they had some stock to work through on the battery cell side as well. Yeah. The battery cell was, was incredibly strong. One of the sort of possible balancing factors on that side is a question of, you know, what is ESS demand offsetting, you know, EV? I look through some of the CATL financials. I look at what Tesla is doing. You know, I see ESS being as being higher than what other people sought last year. What is your guys' view on, on ESS, you know, current and, and going forward? Um, yeah, I think... ESS will take whatever cells are available. That's my view. Um, I think a lot of people are underestimating demand. Um, and perhaps, you know, that there is always this question on what chemistry is going to be used for ESS. From our understanding and our talks with players, um, I think it's going to be heavily dominated by LFP. Um, and I think that's a good thing. I think it reduces pressure on, on NMC batteries and lithium hydroxide chain. And what we've seen in the past six months is actually non-mainstream supply when it's needed can flood into domestic carbonate and LFP supply chain. But it, the, the same isn't for hydroxide. It's, it's not as, it's, it's more inelastic. Um, it takes longer to qualify. Um, it's harder to produce at a battery grade. Um, so I think we're gonna see that kind of continued bifurcation between the carbonate and hydroxide markets. Um, and I think 
the easiest thing for, for energy storage and for potentially, especially in China, um, EV producers is to focus more on LFP. Yeah, so we'd agree. Um, definitely, you know, seeing that uh, in terms of qualification, a number of players on the hydroxide side. So this is a, a good opportunity now to pivot into, while we're talking about um, energy storage and, and looking, I guess, at uh, small EVs. So the question of sodium iron, the one that's popping up, the volumetric uh, density seems to be low. That seems to be an issue. So it does seem to make more sense to be in the ESS market than it does in EVs. That's not to say some of the low costs, I like to call them uh, derogatory, the glorified golf carts that get sold. But um, what is your thoughts on on um, on sodium ion scaling and and first starting you know where volumetric uh, density doesn't matter in the in the energy storage side uh, you know your thoughts on on that on that ability to scale in and, and take market share I think you have to you know, we're certainly sort of expecting uh, sodium ion to take market share and we think it will grow and I think at the end of the day the whole of this sort of the whole of the electrification, you know, all different types of batteries are going to be needed uh, with sort of each battery having its own sort of area where it uh, fits best. Um, and I think, yeah, I think sodium ion will will certainly have a a, a foothold um, in energy storage. I think it will in these small vehicles as well. Um, and I think that's, you know, I, I don't necessarily see it as a, as a problem because I think, we're you know, again, you're going to have, it's going to be part of the solutions which we, which the you know we we're going to need and we're going to need for the next sort of few decades as as the whole energy transition sort of um, gains gathers pace. So if I put you on the spot, what uh, sort of market share do you think it can get into, say, energy storage by twenty thirty? Um, yeah, I haven't I haven't got that sort of that sort of number on my head at the moment. Really, it's it's an area. It's it's what we're looking into though. Certainly on the EV side, I think we have less than 10%. Um, yeah, I mean, I would, again, on a gigawatt hour deployed basis, I'd say I'd agree with that because it's going to be in the smaller. And, the, you know, it's it's a question of, of larger. It might have application, I suppose, in commercial vehicles where, you know, like waste disposal or things like that where speed doesn't really matter or, you know, the energy density is, you know, slow moving. But... Um, and and do you foresee, I mean, there's a question as well as to scaling that, will they have their own supply chain teething problems given what goes into sodium ion? I think absolutely. Yeah, I think you'll have the same problems that you have with lithium supply chain. If you were to scale up quicker, you know, as quick as we scaled up lithium ion production in the last couple of years. If you're going to do the same amount in sodium ion, I think you'd have crunch points in the supply chain. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's our understanding as well. So it'll be interesting to see, but definitely, definitely uh, something there. So um, is there anything that um, is going to, I mean, in terms of, uh, of, of supply ramping, your thoughts on on China lipidolite, you know, it it are there issues around the amount of waste that comes with production and so on? Is there any limitations as to how much that can scale going forward? Um, I I generally think you know we I, 
I think China needs to um, have its own domestic res resources of lithium. You know, at the moment, while it is the epicenter of processed material, um, it relies heavily, obviously, on Australia and South America. Um, we're all aware that sort of geopolitical tensions, you know, could get out of hand. Um, I think so. I think that's why uh, China has um, developed its, you know, it has developed its lipidolite. I, I imagine it will be very much a sort of swing factor of production. You know, if if international prices, seaborne availability is good, then they will tap into that while they can. And I think that's also why, you know, heavily gone into Africa as well. Um, they have a, a history of that on the on the cobalt side. So I don't think it's I think it's I think it's a, a strategic um, move as well, uh, as well as sort of just, you know, obviously, uh, when we saw extreme tightness last year, it, it made sense for them to to um, use their lipidolite. Yeah. So I mean, you, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it from an ESG perspective, the main problem with shipping any of these concentrate products is the waste and um, for Europe, you know, shipping and receiving something that's 6% the product you want and 94% waste is a massive problem. And that's why we'll probably see more people moving downstream to a midstream product of phosphate or sulfate. For China, I don't think there's much of as a concern, but, you know, like you said, the grades are so low that you need, in some cases, you know, 17 units of lipid-like concentrate to make one unit of lithium carbonate. So, um, the amount of waste is, is massive, um, but I think they they can circumnavigate these problems a little bit better than other jurisdictions. I mean, I, I'd agree. I guess my question is, you know, in terms of the existing industries that take the waste now and there's an application for it, I don't know that you can just scale to an unlimited size and keep having demand for that, you know, that waste. I guess construction industry and so on you know is there an unlimited in in certain regions to take it or is you know is there a level at which this thing is going to cap out um i i think it will be a case of you know what is available elsewhere and you know that will i think it will be it will tend to be swing production material so if there's if there is um, material available in the international market then that will be that will be used so would you see lipidolite replacing non-integrated converters using spodumin as the future swing supply? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think what you saw first ago with the price decreases, you know, when the price was up at 500, 600,000 yuan per ton, you had previous kind of companies that were focusing on ceramics, for example, reprocessing their lines into battery grade production to reprocess tailings and you know that's that's how ridiculous the price was and, and that was economical to a point maybe about 440,000 yuan per ton and then you got down to 250,000 yuan per ton and you started to see production lines being shut down that were non-integrated so Nanshi lithium for example a portion of their carbonate production is sourced from their own mines that's fine that's still profitable um, but they shut down the lines that were fed by third party oil. And I don't think you'd see the same thing with spodumene because you've got a much higher grade product. And I think there's still massive demand for spodumene and the spodumene market's a lot tighter than you would expect based on the sentiment at the moment. Yeah, which is something I'd, I'd like to touch on because spodumene seems to be very resilient, but we're seeing a lot of discipline 
from uh, from producers and they certainly are moderating what they produce and what they ship so you know the question is to the extent that it was limited use in china for carbonate and used more for hydroxide i, I guess as that's fine while you're destocking, but I guess at some point in time, how do you see this all playing out? What's what, you know, is our, our lithium prices going to recover or is, is Bodgeman, you know, going to be reset with quarterly adjustments and it's going to head down? Um, on that, I think, you know, I think we have, we are overshooting on the carbonate price at the moment on the downside. So I do expect that um, to, if, you know, either soon or already to find a base fairly soon. You know, we also saw our spodumin assessment um, a few weeks back did actually, it rose nine, nine and a half percent or something. So that suggests also that, you know, there is some buying interest. Maybe a lot of the extra material that we spoke about earlier on has started to dry up and people are realizing that, you know, it's it's now going to be, um, you know, there'll be more competition for, uh, the spodumin and therefore you know they they were prepared to sort of pay pay a higher price and i think you also got to remember back to you know when was it sort of uh, 2020 you know when we were when prices were heading down then there was a lot of talk that there was a, a lot of surplus spodumin around in the system and then as soon as prices started to turn higher uh, in china in the fourth quarter 2020 you know where was all that spodumin it was held in tight hands and i think that's what we're starting to see you know, across the, uh, certainly in China, that more material is is not being sold, being held on to, um, waiting for higher prices. So I think you know we will start to see the uh, certainly the, the the carbonate prices or salt prices start moving higher before too long. But something we we discussed uh, on a previous podcast of ours is we I mean, we got to the point where it's cheaper to be buying carbonate and reprocessing that into hydroxide than buying spodium. Yeah, and that's you know that's the the, the the whole Chinese converter industry is is very flexible in what they can what they can you know convert into what um, so that they they do have that that advantage. Yeah, I think you're seeing that arbitrage in the technical grade and the battery grade as well. And I think people have jumped on the opportunity of, especially in South Korea, you've seen imports of carbonate go up, and they they're really taking advantage of that arbitrage between the carbonate and the hydroxide price. But there's a capacity restraint for that as well. I, I guess it's easier to bring on. The process capacity for carbonate to, to hydroxide then from spodumene to hydroxide but still these things take time so i think you know that bifurcation that we're seeing hydroxide and carbonate i see that may, being maintained until either demand improves on the carbonate side or there's an increase in in capacity to produce lithium hydroxide but as we know lithium hydroxide producing a battery grade product and, and ramping it up is is, is difficult and there's different hand. tiers. There's tiers, you know, on the hydroxide, you get your sort of tier one battery grade hydroxide. Um, and that's, you know, that obviously is the hardest area. And I think, you know, what the other area is, you know, in Europe, just going back to the demand side in Europe, as the general parts shortages eases, then we're going to see, you know, production of EVs in, in Europe and in the US pick up more. You know, they're, they're, they are using NCM batteries by and large. Um, that's going to be good for the sort of the hydroxide demand as well. You know, we have obviously people are worried about whether we're going into recession or the cost of living, but the demand side we don't think is going to be affected in, in certainly in, in Europe and North America. Um, there is, you know, there is pent up demand because of the this production constraint. There's a lot of uh, the waiting lists to buy an EV in in Europe are, you know, can be anything from in you know, a six months to two years. Uh, so it, it, if 
if you can produce them, they'll be sold. With all the lament in the Tesla community on the, you know, the the price cuts, you're not hearing about long waiting lists for Teslas anymore. In fact, the inventories are going up a lot. So you're saying there's waiting lists for non-Tesla vehicles? Yeah. So if you, you know, if you're looking to buy a, you know, a, yeah, a, a European, a, some of the common brands in Europe, then there are waiting lists for the EVs. Yeah, for, certainly for battery-only electric vehicles. Yeah. You know, Peter has mentioned it. There is an improvement in open interest and trading volume. That's still relative to global volumes is quite small. But on a compounding basis, it's certainly picking up. What's driving that? I think it's again, it's you've got, you know, you've got some big price movements. I think there was some shorting on the way down. I think so you've got a pickup of, of some sort of um, some short covering on that. But I think also, you know, with the lower prices, you're starting to see some uh, interest coming in, you know, to, to take advantage of these low prices. Uh, you know, I think last time I looked at it, there was just under 1,500 lots, I think, of open interest on the hydroxide. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that has picked up because it was 1,000 when I looked recently. So it is it is it's taking off. So you think it's mostly hedging activity? It's... Um... Imagine it's, it, it's hedging. I imagine it's, you know, maybe some initial fund in interest as well but i'd say mainly it's um it's trade the the oems i'm hearing i mean they, they want predictability you know in the price so um as a risk management tool uh, futures are used in all other commodities so they want it, this to serve that function yeah i mean they, they're they're totally used to it they'd be comfortable with you know they'd be comfortable with it they just need you know the, the exchanges just need to get build up more liquidity okay where is price Today, you're saying it's overshot on the carbonate on the downside. You think it's going to rebound, but you're you're implying you don't think it will reach the highs of before. You know why not? I guess it's like the the way I, I look at this these Chinese trader. I call it like the the bazaar. You know, it's like the Hong Kong bazaar. You go and it's constantly negotiating. Like when it's going down, you know they just grill you down. But as soon as it goes up, you know they're like meme stocks trading. Right, right. These Chinese. So why, when it starts going up again, won't we have that same frenzy we had last year? Um, I think there is there is more supply. More supply has, you know, we've had the restarts. The more supply is coming on um, than we saw, at, say, at the start of last year. Um, so I think, you know, I think in the moment we've gone through a, an area of extra supply. So and I think those prices were just I also think they were unsustainable up at those sort of levels um so i think i don't i don't envisage just going back to those high levels i don't i don't really think you know people don't really have that buff, buffering effect of the legacy contracts you know which could have artificially lowered the supply chain average that's going to be going to become less of a of an effect because you've got more people moving to you know market-based pra reference prices um so i think we'll see demand being you know, more sensitive to price surges. But I think there's a definitely a reluctance for prices to kind of increase as high as they did last year. I mean, I think it's probably fair that OEMs have said as much in terms of profitability and it kind of it eventually it crimps into you know, what can, you know, what, what they can sell and whether it's worth selling. So let me, let's look at it another way. Where do you guys see the happy middle ground where there's enough incentive to keep production and new production and investments happening upstream 
and keeping the OEMs happy and making a decent margin that they want to keep investing heavily into EV production. In my opinion, I think it's somewhere around the $25 to $30 a kilogram mark. That's enough to incentivize you know, supply to come online. And I also think it's, it's low enough for OEMs and, and actually everybody across the value chain to, to take and have a, a fair share of the margin. Will prices go higher than that in the long term? Probably. You know, I, I expect volatility to continue. Um, although prices may average within that range over the year, there'll be periods where it's low and there'll be periods where it's higher. That, that's the nature of the beast. But yeah, I mean, from talks with, with battery cell manufacturers, I think OEMs can sustain up to $40 a kilogram, but I think under $30 a kilogram, above 25 is a good range. This is only one input for all of their costs. So, you know, they, they, you know, they, if it's 60,000 or 70,000, you know, if nickel prices are lower or cobalt or manufacturing efficiencies and in other places could make up when you say like, Oh, we won't buy it for more than 40. Right. But it's only one ingredient. Absolutely. And, you know, batteries as, as we move forward, they're going to get more efficient. You're going to need less metal loadings as well. So that, you know, there are other ways to reduce costs. And I think the whole battery metal suite as a whole, if you look at nickel and cobalt, you know, prices will be lower than they have been over the last couple of years, you know, there's there's a massive amount of supply of, of nickel and cobalt coming online over the next few years as well. You yeah, know, look, it's a, de it's a delicate balance, but in the end, we all know that the war against ICE is in the twenty to forty thousand dollar category in the U.S. and it's even lower in China. So you've got to make more affordable EVs. You've had the low hanging fruit of the high margin our value EVs, which they took on first, now the serious business of production volumes and, and, and taking, you know, the slug of market share where the real volumes get done is, is, I guess, what's important. Yeah, I mean, it's moving that way. And, you know, incentives like the IRA, I've seen analysis that brings the cost of a Model 3 down to, you know, 39,000, which is on par with uh, an ICE about you know premium BMW or, or Audi and General Motors. General Motors um, are looking at producing a, a small truck, maybe something like a Ford Maverick, which already is hybrid, for less than thirty thousand dollars. So it's right at that sweet sweet point, and, and you know that's potentially in the next couple of years using that Altium platform. Um, so you know I, I think EVs will be cheaper than ICE. We just need that scale, like you said. Okay, fi final question. I'll put you on the spot. Um, where is spodumene price today? And where is the, I guess, the, the, the China's carbonate price? So, uh, our, yeah, our, um, our spot price is basis mid-April was 5,312.50 to be exact as a mid price. Okay, 5,300. By the time of the Fast Markets Conference, where do you think it'll be? <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't expect too much. I think maybe say five and a half thousand. So I'm saying we're not going to move. Slide up. It hasn't come down. It's come down the least out of all the sort of the battery, kept the salts. Uh, also out of the the lithium salts. So I think it's. I think we're going to see more of a rebound in in the salt prices than we would in the spodumen. Okay. So where where do you think the so where's the carbonate price now? Spot carbonate, and where do you think it'll be at the conference? Um, spot carbonate 29. is. So where is it? 29? 29 on the SIF. 
basis, yeah, $29 a kilogram. Go on, Jordan, you can go for the, the carbonate. Um, <laughs> I, I think the Q2 average will be $34 a kilogram. The Q2 average. Okay. So, and I, I think by the end of June, start of July, you'll be hovering around 200,000 yuan per ton, which is around $38 a kilogram on the SIF market. So 38 by the end of June. And where do you think it is by the end of the year? You could, you could be around 50. 50. Okay. So it's 28 now mm -hmm. and you think it's going to 50. Where do you think spodumene will be by the end of the year? I think around where it is now. So you think so? You guys both think fifty three hundred, kind of fifty five hundred flat from now. Yeah. Year. Okay. Based on mineral resources and kind of all chem, what they're expecting their Q four pricing okay. to be as well. It's it's around that level. Okay. Look forward to revisiting that uh, toward the end of the year. Thank you uh, both for joining, Rodney and me. Always great to have you guys, and nice to meet you, Jordan. And yeah, all you know, highly encourage all our followers if you could afford it. You know, go to Las Vegas uh, and visit the conference. It's uh, it's a great collection of uh, industry. You know, there's OEMs there. There's lithium producers. There's developers. There's investors. There's investment bankers, and then there are, you know, YouTube personalities like Rodney and me. Um, <laughs> See you guys soon.